Hello, everybody. My name is James Adams. My mission is directed here at Mitchell Berean, where you are. So welcome. Um, today, it is our second week into our missions month. Um, if you didn't, weren't here last week, we talked with Art DeVos from Camp Rock or Chris Gunnis from Dudes Outfitters. Uh, you can check them out online, or you can grab one of these. Um, they're right there in the center um, table there as you come in. And we have a list of all of our missionaries that we support here at Mitchell Berean. And if you're not sure who they are or, or what their mission's about, uh, you can check them out, either talk to them personally via email or Facebook, but also you have a QR code uh, right here on the left-hand side. You just uh, use your phone, you use your camera app, that's how you do it, and you can uh, connect right there on the website and you can find more about them. Because our missionaries, they love to connect with you. They love knowing that you're out here praying for them, that you're communicating with them, and it just makes them feel, you know, they can just do it for one more day. And without further ado, we've got Rick and Ferry Hatton uh, with uh, Awana. So if you want to give them a round of applause. Thanks, James. Thank you. It's good to be with you today. Barry and I have been involved as Awana missionaries for 36 years now, <clears throat> and uh, we've been working uh, through the years with uh, 200 plus churches, uh, helping them start Awana ministries and strengthen Awana ministries. Through the years, there's been some interesting things happen. I remember uh, a few years back, actually uh, a few, uh, visiting the club in Wahoo, Nebraska. As I walked into the uh, the club that evening, there was a gentleman there waiting, and and he stuck out his hand, and he says, Hi, I'm Dan Bailey. He says, You were my camp counselor when I was a little boy, and he shows me my senior picture. And I'd been out of high school like at least 20 years at that point then. So, But uh, it was interesting. How many of you went to Sunday school as kids? In uh, his book, uh, Cliff Schimmel's uh, Everything I Need to Know I Learned in Sunday School, he observed that if you went to Sunday school as a child, that you... You probably remember some things about Sunday school. Do you remember how Sunday school looked? I remember ours was a white frame church. We met in the basement, and there were curtains between the tables. And uh, the materials kind of, it, it reminded me, it was it reminded me of material that long underwear was made out of, thermal underwear. But anyway, uh, then there were silver poles that supported the structure, and there were little brown light sockets on there. And every now and then, a light would just kind of flicker randomly and distract you. Uh, do you remember the songs of Sunday school? You know? You remember how Sunday school smelled? A little musty, but. Do you remember your Sunday school teachers? Mabel Merritt, Iola Lancer, Linus Oswald, Karen Oswald, Earl Nicholas. But we remember people in our lives as children, adults, maybe school teachers, other adults in the church or teachers in Sunday school, Awana. But uh, we have uh, people in our lives that have made an impact. <clears throat> I, uh, as I walked into that uh, church in Wahoo, uh, I knew I was going to meet Dan Bailey. When I made arrangements to go uh, visit the club, the pastor asked me, he says, do you remember uh, a, a guy named Dan Bailey? And I said, boy name doesn't ring a bell. 
He said, well, you were his camp counselor when he was a little boy. And I said, oh, that would have been when I was a junior in high school back at Polk Bible Camp. And uh, I, I, I remember the group of boys, but I didn't necessarily remember Dan. But uh, I had no idea I was going to come face to face with my senior class pitcher that day. Uh, but it shouldn't surprise me because if I had the senior class pitcher of a young man named Cam Luther, who was my camp counselor when I was a little boy, uh, it would still be in my memorabilia drawer uh, because I don't remember much of what Kim said, but I remember that Kim loved the Lord and it showed, and I left camp that year wanting to be like Kim Luther. And uh, we uh, have a tremendous opportunity as volunteers and adults in the lives of kids to, to make an impact. And uh, we don't know the impact we're making, and we may never know. But uh, we're having an influence on them as you're around them. The same is true of a church. When the uh, current Awani executive team was uh, being formed, they decided to get together and get familiar with each other, and they uh, started sharing about their childhood. And actually, as they got to sharing, they realized that many of them had broken childhoods. And uh, one uh, gentleman shared how he had been, uh, when he'd go to school, uh, before he'd go to school, his mom would send the other kids off, and then she'd beat him because he'd wet his bed during the night. Uh, another remembered his dad rampaging through the house, gathering his belongings, and, and then walking out and leaving the family forever. And as they were sharing that, uh, also they, they began to realize a little later, didn't notice it quite at the time, but another theme was emerging. Uh, I was my, my mom's whipping post but there was a church. Uh, Nobody knew how dysfunctional our family was, but there was a church. My dad walked out and abandoned my mom and myself and and walked out of our lives, but there was a church. Some quotes from our uh, book that we put out just last year, Resilient Child Discipleship. A couple hours a week in the presence of caring adults who share God's radical love in their church community Uh, to each and every child, can change everything. One of the marks of young people who continue their church participation as adults was that they had developed a warm and trusting relationship with an adult in the church other than their own parents. And so it is with you uh, here at Mitchell Berean. Uh, You have the opportunity as adults uh, with children and young people running around to to know their name, to interact with them, to... uh, talk to them, treat them as though they mattered. And uh, as the kids grow up and leave here, they'll remember their church and uh, the, the adults who were influences to them. In Hebrews thirteen seven, it says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. But this is some of what we do. As we start clubs and strengthen clubs, we, we cast vision, we share vision, we help people see themselves doing ministry. We help the uh, volunteers realize the power they have as a caring adult in the lives of children. We help churches see the impact they can have on their community and in the lives of boys and girls. I just want to make you aware of an event coming up here, September 16 and 17. Awana is going to be putting on a child discipleship forum in Nashville. It'll also be available online, but it'll be a gathering of pastors and and uh, church leaders, uh, uh, children's ministry, and youth volunteers as they come together to plan, pray and collaborate and train and discover 
effective child discipleship uh, strategies and practices. There's a flyer on our table back in the foyer. You can pick that up if you're interested more about that. Some ways you can be praying for us. Uh, We thank the Lord for good health. We uh, uh, have managed to stay healthy all year. Also thank the Lord that uh, 82% of our Awana ministries were able to meet in person this year. Only 55 nationwide, 55% were able to, and so we're grateful for that. But we praise God for his provision and care. Pray for wisdom as we plan and prepare for uh, 10 summer meetings and training sessions in July. Uh, That's going to be three weeks of fairly grueling uh, activity, and so pray for strength and stamina. And then pray that the rest of the uh, Awana ministries that we're not able to start this year will be able to resume next year. But thank you so much for your prayers and support. It's great to be with you. Hey, friends of Maranatha over at Mitchell Marine Church. So good to at least be with you by video. And boy, what a 2020 season it was. We praise God. We were able to operate safely and open up camp for summer 2020 for seven weeks. And you probably heard it was just a a powerful summer for us, as it was for many ministries that uh, pressed forward by faith and um, just saw God do miraculous things over the course of our summer in 2020. Um, As we look forward to 2021, um, we're just excited that it doesn't appear that we're going to have any restrictions whatsoever uh, to have to abide by, at least, you know, mandated. Um, Of course, we'll continue to to take some measures um, just to be safe and um, just aware that there's still um, a pandemic going on, but we're just thankful that we live in a part of the country where things are pretty safe for us. Um, We are excited to have 12 weeks of summer. Uh, We're excited that we're going to have a full complement of summer staff. We recruit over, you know, 60 uh, high school and college age students to be a part of our summer staff ministry. Um, we've got about 90% of those summer staff recruited, which is fantastic. Um, and then, yes, we'll start our uh, traditional summer the last week of May and go for 12 solid weeks, Lord willing. At least that's what we're anticipating uh, by faith. Um, just on a personal note, my family, we have uh, three teenagers now. So you can definitely be praying for us on that front. Um, our youngest just turned 13 yesterday. We had a great time celebrating. And uh, as you can imagine, it's a wonderful place to raise a family and to be a family in ministry together uh, here at Maranatha Bible Camp. Um, my wife uh, homeschools part-time, and our kids go to the local public school. Actually, It's actually the school I grew up going to, so things have definitely come full circle for us as a family. And Natalie and the kids are enjoying um, their last, really just five or six weeks of school. Um, and we're all just geared up, ready to go for, for summer camp. Our kids will be working, you know, part-time and volunteering, serving together, you know, with Natalie and I here at Maranatha. So that's a lot of fun. And I would say, uh, over this, just the course of my ministry career, um, we've never been closer as a family with our kids and whatnot as we are when we work and serve here at Maranatha. So that's been a huge blessing as we're in those critical child rearing uh, really young adult, you know, rearing phases of life with teenagers. So be praying for our family in that regard. Uh, thank you so much, though, Mitch Brian, for just standing with us 
as a ministry, standing with us as a family as we direct Maranatha Bible Camp. And we hope you have a great spring. God bless you. It's always a joy to get to hear from our missionaries. Um, I know Chris from uh, back before he was out at camp um, again. We, uh, we were able to partner uh, in planting a church in Chapel, Nebraska, and he was the head of national church planning for the Brean Fellowship at that point. So we got to work side by side in a lot of stuff. And I just love his heart for the Lord and for seeing people know Christ. And so be praying for him. Uh, Maranatha does so much more than just summer camps. they got stuff going on all the time. So definitely be praying for him and see what you can do to partner with him. Uh, I know some of you are looking at your watches going, oh, no, it's Pastor Ben. We don't have time for this. Just buckle up. We're going to make it, okay? We'll be fine, okay? But here's the thing. I wanted to tell you, as we come to the end of, uh, as we're starting to approach the end of this month, which is our missions focus month, month is missional church is our theme. It's our series that we're going through. There's an incredible opportunity at the end of the month. On the 29th, it's the last Saturday of the month, uh, there is uh, an event going on that is called Global Outreach Day. Now, this event is worldwide. Uh, and, and what's amazing is on Global Outreach Day last year, we know of 1.6 billion times that the gospel was shared worldwide, which is incredible. And this year, I want to invite you to be part of that, to be part of, of reaching our world. Because 1.6 billion is a lot, but we have 7.6 billion people on the planet. So we got work to do still, right? So uh, today we want to get into this and think about what we can do to be part of this with some boldness. Now, Boldness is an interesting thing, right? Uh, I think about the boldness of explorers throughout history that would get on a boat with no promise of return and just head off into the unknown to make discoveries, to traverse harsh terrain and, and find these incredible things all along the way. I think of that kind of boldness and then I think of my kind of boldness. Uh, when I was just out of high school, I was in a band and I know every, everyone says that, but I actually was. So I was in a band and we were having a concert and, and while we were setting, like we're getting everything set up, people are starting to show up for this concert and I saw this girl outside and she was walking up to the to the door and I was going oh man I think that is my friend so I go to the door I open it up I was kind of surprised she was there uh and because we weren't that good but I was surprised she was there and and I'm like hey how's it going and I realized that is not who I thought it was (laughs) it was not my friend but throughout the night then I felt like this girl and I had just some kind of connection. Now, I know every teenage boy in the room understands what I mean, but it is this thing where I felt like we had this connection going, and at the end of the night, after the show, this girl comes walking up to me, and she, she says, hey, so what would it take for your band to come up to my town and do, uh, do a concert here to, to maybe help bring some hope? There's been a lot of darkness. There's been a lot of suicide in my town, and we'd like to do something different. She says, I was talking to your dad, and your dad told me to come over here and give you my number so that we can set something up. So I got her number, and here, I don't remember saying this. I was told that this is what I have said. Uh, I, I apparently looked at her, and I said, well, that's the easiest number I ever got. This young woman's name is Janae. We've been married for 10 years now. So um, this, this is what I want you to know. Young men uh, know this truth. We have a God who can go beyond you to bring together what you never could and would never be able to. Praise be, right? It's amazing to think about this. And Janae will tell you, I definitely said it. I still have no memory of that. But uh, one of the things, though, with boldness is that it takes serious motivation to drive it, right? Uh, without a clear why, we tend to hold back or even avoid things that require our boldness. And sharing the gospel is one of these areas. Now, you may be thinking, um, isn't, aren't there some clear whys on sharing the gospel? Like, 
The why of so people won't spend eternity in hell and the why of so people would know Jesus and find hope in him? Absolutely. Those are whys to this, and I'm glad you know them, but here's the question. Have those whys motivated you to start sharing the gospel? And if not, why not? See, we, we have a lot of whys all over Scripture, but sadly we don't seem motivated by them. We have zero boldness with the gospel, and somehow we're convinced that that's okay, because as long as I go to church, I occasionally uh, read my Bible, I pray before at least one meal a day, and I have Caleb tuned in on, on my radio station in the car just in case my pastor rides with me at some point. Uh, as long as I do those things, I will be labeled a good Christian, but you have to understand something. That, that is not a good Christian. That's what I call a cultural Christian. What that means is that the, the greatest motivating factor of, for your actions is the culture. The culture of the local church, maybe, or the culture of your job, the, the culture of your community. You see, we're far more motivated to look like a Christian than to live like one. And it's time for us to break this view of cultural Christianity and pursue a Jesus-centered Christianity again. And when we do this, boldness with the gospel comes in quick. I think of Acts uh, uh, chapter 4 where the believers have just faced some of the first persecution that they're going to see. And, and they're, they're being accused of things. They're being threatened with things. And after this, they gather together and they pray. And, and here's what we see in Acts 4.31. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. You see, the spirit of God that we receive when we put our faith in Jesus is the source of this boldness that we need to go out and proclaim the gospel. When we as the believers in Acts did submit ourselves to God instead of to our public image, we find boldness to speak truth, uh, the truth of Jesus Christ, out to people who are bound for hell. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask you to get uncomfortable with me, all right? What, what we're going to do is this. We're, we're going to actually, we're going to join with the believers and we're going to pray for boldness, but we're going to get into a position that is vulnerable before God. So I'm going to ask you to join me. I'm going to get on my knees. And if you are able, join me on your knees that we can pray. If not, then, then just join us in your heart on your knees. But here's what we're going to do. I know it's uncomfortable. I know it's difficult maybe to get onto your knees, but, but here's the thing. We've got to start getting uncomfortable with this we got to start thinking differently, and so let's pray. We're going to just pray right now. You pray to God for boldness in your own heart, and then I'll close this time praying together. Father, it's not always easy for us to get on our knees before you, to get into a position of surrender, to get into a, a vulnerable state, God, but I pray that you would help us to be driven to this more. God, that we would realize the desperation of our world around us, the desperation of our own lives, God, and we would come before you pleading with you, God, for, for you to send help, for you to send hope, for, God, you to raise us up with boldness. And, God, I ask right now that as a church you fill us with your spirit, Fill us with a spirit of boldness to carry out the message of the gospel as we look at the community around us that desperately needs to hear it, God. We praise you and thank you for what you have done and look forward, God, to all that you're going to do as you fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. As you're getting back to your seats, I want you to, to understand this. The boldness through the Holy Spirit is the how of sharing the gospel. It's, it's how, but now we need to get back to the why. 
Not everyone is motivated in the same way. Anybody who has more than one kid understands this. Some people are motivated just by the, the uh, idea of a reward. They'll do a task for a reward, and other people need the fear of punishment f- to do the same task, right? Some of us understand that we're more on one side than the other of that. Well, well here's the thing. God has given us an array of motivations when it comes to sharing the gospel, and I want to put them into some simple terms for you. We're going to bring them down into four groups. The first one I call the call from above. This is the call to obedience. You see, we're commanded by God to share the gospel all over Scripture. If you don't believe me, I'm just going to give you some chapters that you can look at. Mark 16, Matthew 28, Romans 10, Matthew 9, 1 Peter 3, 1 Corinthians 9, Romans 1, Acts 1, Colossians 4. Is that enough? I can give you that list later if you want, but in every single one of those, there is a call for us to be sharing the gospel. And guess what? That's not the exhaustive list. There's more. It is clear that we are commanded to preach the gospel, but here's the question. Are we willing to be obedient to that call? Are we willing to be obedient to the God who loves us and has called us to do this? The next motivation group is called what, uh, what I call the cry from beneath. This is the reality of hell. There's a movement in the church today to erase the reality of hell, and it, it baffles me until I look at their logic behind it, their reasoning behind it. They, you see, this, they, they believe that a loving God could never send someone to hell. Now, I agree that a loving God uh, does not desire anyone to spend eternity in hell and therefore has made a way for all to escape hell. But the the loving God gave up his only son to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God through him. But hell is real. And our loving God has made an escape from it, but our God is also fully just. He will hold to his word and his law. And the Bible is clear on this in places like Revelation 2015 where it says this, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. These are heavy words, but they're, they're the reality of what is to come. Our loving, just God will hold everyone accountable for their actions, and each will receive a just judgment. So who do you know that still doesn't have their name written in that book of life? Who in your life is still bound for hell? See, when we think about them is when we begin to hear this cry from beneath, and it drives us to something. The next uh, motivation that we see is called the voice from within. It's not your conscience. It's the Holy Spirit that, that prompts us to things. I think of Acts 1-8 where we see Jesus laying this out. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is the, the verse that we focused on all month last year at this time looking at missions. Because we wanted to be a church driven to mission by the Holy Spirit's power. And so I, I want you to understand this is what the Spirit Spirit does. And I I think of the response of the believers on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes and they step out with boldness proclaiming the gospel. And then I think of how the Spirit continued to prompt them. You go to Acts chapter 10 and we've got Peter who's having this dream on a roof about this blanket of random animals coming down that are now, uh, they're now clean. And what was unclean is now clean. And he's confused. And the Holy Spirit wakes him up and says, now go downstairs, answer the door and go with these men. And he goes to the house of Cornelius where he is able to present the gospel clearly and many come to faith in Christ. The Holy Spirit works in this way. This is the same Holy Spirit that is inside each of us who have put our faith in Christ. Do you hear him? Are you aware of the fact that he prompts you? Are you quieting yourself enough to listen to him? Are you yielding to what he has called you to? 
The last one of these motivation groups is called the voice from without. It's the condition of the world around us. We see the broken state of our world. We, we see people struggling and suffering and confused, empty, seeking fulfillment, striving for success. They're finding everything that this life has to offer and still feeling like something is missing. This world is screaming for someone to answer their emptiness, and this is where we come in. We have the answer to sin, to death, to brokenness, to hell, and to hopelessness, and his name is Jesus. We have this answer my friend Jason Lamb, he's the vice president of mobilization at Dare to Share Ministries, sent me some powerful truth this week about Paul's response to the lost around him. And we see it in Colossians 1, 28 through 29. It says this, So we, we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. That is why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. See, this is the same Paul who strived to become all things to all people so that by all possible means he might save some. This is the the same Paul who said that he would be willing to give up his own salvation, that his people, the Jews, would be saved. He would spend eternity in hell that they would have salvation. See, he saw their condition and he was willing to do whatever it takes to reach them. This is the powerful picture of discipleship that we've been going through this whole year right here in this verse. Where, where we see uh, the calls of Jesus from chair one, which is the chair of come and see. Just come and see what Jesus is about. It's the chair of someone who doesn't yet know Christ, but is wanting to know more. And, and the call of Jesus to his first disciples, just come and see. Come and see what he's about. And then there's chair two, which is follow me. We begin to align ourselves with the mission and ministry of Jesus. We see what he has done and we begin to walk in that way. And then there's chair three, where we're transitioning up from being ones who are just aligning with to joining in on the ministry. We become the workers, those that are fishing for men. And then there's chair four, where we go and bear much fruit. Where, where we're now taking everything that we've learned, everything that we've grown, and everything that we've understood about Christ, and we're pouring it heavily into others. Now, that process doesn't have to wait till you're a chair four to start. That can be a chair two thing where you see someone in chair one and begin to call them to come and see. Come and see and to walk through. But there's a transition from chair two to chair three, and it's where evangelism comes in. Chair two has this motivation where I start noticing the lost around me and I start desiring for them to be saved. And then chair three is where I start pursuing relationships with them, looking for opportunities, praying for their salvation and and seeking ways that I can share the gospel with them. This is the heart of Jesus in Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. This wasn't a good time for Jesus. He'd just been told that his cousin John had been beheaded. He said, hey, can we go to an isolated place? He wanted to go and mourn. Take a little time to breathe. Well, the crowds heard where he was going. He gets on the boat, starts heading across the lake, and they ran around from every town. And when he lands, he steps off the boat, and there's a huge crowd there. Most of us have been frustrated. Jesus steps off the boat, and it says he saw them, and he saw their condition. They were lost like sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion on them. This word for compassion there that, that is used, it's actually two words. The first word means this, he felt sick over it. He, it literally means he was moved to the depths of his bowels. His stomach began to turn at the spiritual, physical condition that they were in. They were lost. And then the, the other word there means he was compelled to action. He could not sit still. He had to do something. That is that heart for, for the condition of the world around us, that motivation. 
See, there's so many motivations in Scripture, and the question is, have you found yours, and are you willing to allow it to motivate you to action? So now we've covered the how. We've covered the how through the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, giving us boldness, the the why, which is the motivations given to us by God through his word and the example of Christ and Paul and other believers that we've seen that drive us. But now we need to look at the what as we wrap things up today. When I say share the gospel, what do I mean? See, I ask people all the time, what is the gospel? And their answers look something like this. Oh, the gospel is that Jesus loves you. Now, it's not a horrible answer, but it's also not a complete answer. So people will say, well, the gospel is the Bible, or the gospel is God's word. And and I think there's been a misunderstanding of what the gospel is, so I want to clarify it for you here really quickly, okay? The gospel, the word gospel simply means good news, and I want to share that good news using that word gospel, broken down into an acrostic to go through the message of the gospel. So we're going to start uh, with this first one. Gee, God created us to be with him. Psalms 100 verse 3 says this, Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. You see, we were created to be with God. And we see this stated here, but we see it lived out in the book of Genesis. Where God has created Adam and Eve and, and, and we see him coming at one point to walk in the cool of the day in the garden. To spend time with them in actual face-to-face relationship. It's what we are created for. It is the purpose that we're trying to fulfill in everything in life. This emptiness that we feel. People who gain the most success still state, I feel like there's still something missing. And it's because this is what they're created for. And there's only one thing that fulfills it and it is getting back to that purpose, but we have a problem. The next sentence is, our sins separate us from God. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The word sin isn't just bad things we do, it means to miss the mark. There was a standard set before you, like a target at the back of the room, and, and we think of it that we're shooting at it and falling just short of it, but the truth is most of us see that target, see what it's about, and we go, I'm gonna shoot over here at what seems a little easier, a little more fun. That's how we sin. We choose to do whatever we want to do, whatever is going to bring us the most pleasure in that moment. That's the way that we tend to live. We have fallen short of the glory of God, and we are separated from God because of it. Now, we, we think maybe I might be able to, to do something to fix this, but the next sentence is this, sins cannot be removed by good deeds. Isaiah 64, 6 says this, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. See, this this verse is powerful to me because you think about it. If my good deeds are about me earning back something from God, then there is a hint of selfishness at the heart of every good thing that I'm doing, right? Which means I'm taking something good and I'm dipping it into a sinful, selfish heart and I'm handing it to God saying, Hope that this sin will pay for my sin. It doesn't make sense, does it? We're handing God these filthy rags saying this should be good enough. And God says, that's not what I've asked. That is not what I require. He requires the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sin. So we get to the next sentence, paying the price for sin. Jesus died and rose again. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't while I had my most potential. It wasn't while I was at my best or doing the best I've ever done. It wasn't while I was trying to strive. It was while I was in the deepest, darkest place of my worst sin in my heart. Where I'm sitting at my lowest point, hiding everything. 
And Jesus looks and says, I can redeem that. I'll do that. It's amazing. It's incredible how he demonstrates his love for us in this. That while we were there, he chose to die for us. While we were still his enemies, he chose to die for us. And what's beautiful about it is the next sentence is, now everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. I love this this, uh, sentence here of everyone who trusts in him alone. Everyone means everyone. God so loved the whole world that anyone who puts their faith in Jesus, will not perish, but have eternal life. It's incredible to think of that, everyone, but also it's everyone who trusts in him alone. It's not Jesus plus my baptism or Jesus plus anything extra. It's not Jesus plus my church attendance or Jesus plus a bunch of good deeds. It's just Jesus. It's just trusting that when he died, it was enough to pay for your sins, that when he rose, it was God declaring that payment accepted on your behalf and trusting in that alone saves you, putting all the weight of what it takes to save you on him. It's a beautiful thing. And now everyone who does that, we get to the last sentence, that life with Jesus starts now and it lasts forever. John 10, 28 through 30 says this, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Here's what he's saying. You're in my hand. And there is nothing anyone can say to you or do to you. There's nothing that Satan himself can come at you with that is going to get you out of this hand because I'm stronger than they are. I have you. I've got you. And know this, there is nothing that you can do that is strong enough to cause him to toss you from his hand because his grace is sufficient for you. It's greater than your sin. So we need to understand something. You are secure in this. You have been guaranteed an inheritance by the Holy Spirit that marks you as his. You are in his hand. That life with Jesus starts the moment you put your faith in him and lasts forever. There is nothing that can take that away. It is all over scripture. This is the message of the gospel. This is the the beauty of the good news. And if you're going, well, I want to I be able to use things like that to share the gospel. Come and see me right after the service. I have incredible tools to give you to use. Simple ways to use exactly what I just shared with you. To be able to walk through. But maybe you're here and it's not the tools that you need. Maybe you're hearing this message of the gospel for the first time. Understanding it. That you've been separated from God by your sin. And that you are in need of a savior. His name is Jesus, and I want to invite you right now, if you're here today and you are ready to put your faith in Jesus because of what he's done for you, I'm going to invite you right now to do that. So I'm going to ask that we just bow our heads. We're going to pray, and this prayer, a prayer doesn't save you, but but this is an opportunity for us to take what's going on in our hearts, this genuine faith in Jesus, and to express it out to the Father. So if you are here today and you are ready to put your faith in Christ for the first time, pray with us with me. Say, God, I know that I've sinned, and because of my sin, I'm separated from you. But God, I also know that I was created to be with you. God, I know that that there's no amount of good deeds that I can do to bring me back to that purpose. 
But God, I also know that you love me so much that you sent your son Jesus who came and he died in my place, paying the price that I owed to you for my sin. God, I know you rose him from the dead, declaring that payment accepted. And I know that if I put my faith in Jesus and him alone, I have eternal life that can never be taken from me. And God, I'm trusting in Jesus alone right here, right now, knowing that he is my savior, the one and only way for me to be saved. With everybody's heads bowed and not looking around, I'm the only one looking around. If you're here today and you prayed to put your faith in Christ for the first time, I'm gonna ask you to do something brave. I'm gonna ask you to just quickly raise your hand. The reason why I'm doing this is because I wanna connect with you. I wanna come alongside you and I wanna help you begin to walk in this process. I want to join with the angels who are celebrating in heaven right now. If you have questions about this, don't leave before you come and ask. Let's figure it out. Let's walk through this truth and let's find this answer together. God, we thank you so much for all that you've done, for for sending your son to pay the price, for filling us with your spirit. God, for giving us an opportunity to go out and to be part of a mission, giving us a new purpose as we created new in Christ Jesus for the good works which you prepared beforehand for us to do. God, send us from here with boldness to reach our community that desperately needs to hear this message of hope. God, we look forward to everything that you're gonna do in Jesus' name, amen.